welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! So when you read scripture, technically speaking, we're reading this as one flowing thought. And I want us to see it as the only way that we can resist the devil is in humility. Biblical humility is obedience to God. To be humble is to do what God wants us to do when we don't want to do it. When we want to lift ourselves up and think more highly than than we ought to of ourselves, he wants us to go low. Everything in the kingdom is backwards. People ask me, why is the K backwards on the, the KC logo? Because in the kingdom, everything's upside down and backwards. To be first, you have to be last. To receive, you have to give. To go higher, you have to go lower. Everything in the kingdom is upside down. In fact, it's foolish. It's foolish. The message of the gospel is foolish that a man died and raised from the dead. It's The Bible calls it, Paul calls it, he says, to some people, it's moronic. To Greek-thinking people, it's moronic. To the Jews, it's scandalous. Everything in the kingdom is backwards, upside down. So if we're going to resist the devil humility has to be at the forefront. And really another way of sort of describing humility in your life, not only is it obedience, it's full surrender, which, is, which looks like obedience every day of the week. Full surrender. So surrender yourselves to God. Get low before God. Stop exalting yourself like you're this big shot. Get low before God. And as a result of that, you will be able to resist the devil And because you've resisted him, he will flee from you. Because if he can realize that he can't get at you, he's going to leave. He might come at you another way. He He might come at you from another angle. But in that moment, as you humble yourself, as you surrender, as you stand in obedience to God, you will have the power to resist the enemy over and over again. We need this. Do you believe that? We need this. Paul, the apostle, said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good faith, the good fight, sorry, I have fought the good fight. It's a good fight, the right fight, because some people fight the wrong fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I've stayed in the fight. I've come to the end of my race, to the finish line. I've hit my goal. And as a result of all of that, in the midst of all of that, I have kept my faith. Why? Because that's the time when you lose your faith in the fight and in the process. In the race and in the fight, it's very easy to lose your faith. I've watched so many people over the years lose their faith. So many people start off so well. And I'm like, man, if this guy can make it, if this guy can make it, he will be like a hell wrecking ball. But then, they, but then he doesn't, or then she doesn't, because they have not been able to stand in the fight because it's a fight. People think because they give their lives to Jesus, it's all going to be good in the hood. It's not, that's not true. It's going to get hard 
Because now you have another individual to rely on to help you get through the hard, and that's him. That's Jesus. And that takes humility. That takes obedience. No longer are you a one-man, one-woman show. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the good fa- the, the faith. So many people, listen to this very clearly, carefully, are fighting the wrong fight right now, and that's why they're losing faith. I've heard the term, like, social justice warriors. The, there's a good version of that, that we are, we are called to be for justice. This is God's heart. But there is a, an other side of that, where in the name of fighting for justice, we compromise every value that we have on the inside of us. We compromise all truth, and we begin to fight a fight that was never our fight to fight. And as a result, we go down this road and we lose our faith. I've watched so many people go down this road. They've lost their faith. They become so much like the people they were fighting for, they no longer were the leader and the example they were called to bring to the people. And now they're worse off than they were before they met Jesus. I've watched this happen. Now, this message for me, this is it's a little bit, um, we'll see how this goes. It's not a teaching. I don't have points. But I feel like this is what I see in my spirit. It's like a magnifying glass over the hour and day that we're living in. God wants to give us a magnifying glass to see what he sees. Because if we see what he sees, we will be able to open up the door within our heart to receive what he wants us to receive to overcome all the things that he sees. This is like a magnifying glass in this season, and I believe it's a message of hope for those scared to stand, speak, and be who they were created to be for fear of what may happen to them. I mentioned in the beginning this, this shape-shifting wolf and bear that I, I had seen 10 years ago that always has stuck with me, this wrestle between, I'm going to be wrestling with intimidation and fear all the days of my life. I, every time I feel like when fear grips a hold of me or intimidation and I bow to it, I feel so disgusting. I feel so not myself. I don't know about you. You missed an opportunity because of fear. You missed an opportunity because of an intimidation. You didn't say something because you thought if you said it, it might go bad, and you regret it. I don't know about you, but I'm so sensitive to that. I'm very sensitive to regret. Very sensitive to regret. And I, and I, and I feel disgusting, like I'm not who I'm supposed to be in those moments. And I watch so many people miss out on opportunities in God and not share the love of God because of fear and intimidation. You have one life to live. And it seems like you're living it for the people, not for the audience of one. You're not going to answer to people when you die. You're going to answer to one. You're going to answer to him. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the greatest antidote to hell, to, to shake hell and remove hell from situations? What did you do with that? What did you do with the kingdom? What did you do with faith? What did you do with prayer? What did you do with everything that I gave you? So many have not kept the faith because of fear, because of rejection, a lack of acceptance in society and culture. So many, and as a result, so many, like I've said, begin to fight the wrong fight. Not the good fight, the wrong fight. Paul didn't say, I have fought the wrong fight. I fought, I fought the good fight. I fought the right fight. The fight that I was supposed to fight. You don't want to wake up one day because you've compromised over and over and over again, wake up one day and you have a shipwrecked faith. 
A shipwrecked faith looks like faith in shambles. That's what it looks like. You ever seen a shipwreck? The boat is destroyed. There's fragments, and someone might say that was a ship. They were a Christian. They were a believer. But their faith is shipwrecked. Their faith is in shambles. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that woman because of one storm. Because you didn't prepare right for one storm, you sunk your battleship. That is not God's plan for your life. And if we bow against fear and intimidation over and over again, your battleship will be sunk. And you will have a shipwrecked faith. Because slowly over time, that lack of humility, that lack of surrendering to God to resist the devil over time becomes like a, a disease, a spiritual disease inside of you that affects every part of your life. And eventually it will implode and eventually you will have a shipwrecked faith. Let me give what I believe is the most common sense prediction. I'm going to give a common sense. I don't even call it prophetic, but just for the sake of terminology, I'm going to give you the most common sense prophetic prediction right now. The statement of hindsight being 2020 will never be more true than it is 10 to 20 years from now. Where people that are fighting for specific things right now will look back of all the damage and the rotten fruit it's produced, and they'll say, I wish I never did that. I wish I never fought that fight. And I'm not just talking about politically. I'm talking about in every area of society and culture right now. This is going to be the most true statement. 10 to 20 years from now, people will be like, that was ridiculous. What came over me? I'll tell you what came over you. Every other person's opinion came over you. You stopped living for the opinion of one. Every other person's opinion came over you, began to influence you in like leaven, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. You let that little leaven in over time, that little compromise in over time, over time, and eventually you don't even know who you are anymore. You don't even have any faith anymore because you let the opinion of the majority or even the minority influence all that you are in faith and in God. That will happen. Mark my words. You will, maybe not you, hopefully, people will regret a lot of what they're pushing for right now, 10 to 20 years from now. Now, in the words of a top leader, this guy, you may not be familiar with him in Scripture. His name is Gamaliel. Everyone say Gamaliel. Very cool name. He was like one of the top dogs in what was called the Great Sanhedrin. Some say he was the president of the Great Sanhedrin, which really was over 71 or 72 judges that was acting as though like it was a Supreme Court. So you have Gamaliel, who was like the religious Pharisee of the Pharisees, teacher of the law, doctor, you know, great president of the great Sanhedrin, which would basically be the equivalent to like our Supreme Court, okay? It was also a lesser court that was made up of over 20-something judges that would, you know, deal with lesser issues. Here, this guy, Gamaliel, who was the guy who mentored Paul the Apostle before he was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul the not, not, not so good person. He was Saul the murderer. This Gamaliel guy mentored Saul of Tarsus before he was Paul the Apostle. His name changed, Saul to Paul, for those of you that don't know. Gamaliel said this very, very smart statement. And this guy was respected. This guy, like I said, he was respected in the courts. He was respected to all the high council members. And it says in Acts chapter 5, I'm going to give you a little bit of a context for this. In Acts chapter 5, it's a great passage. The, the apostles are preaching the gospel. They're healing the sick, casting out devils. They're in the temple courts every day. In the temple, temple courts, they're preaching. They're sharing this message about Jesus. 
and they get arrested. They get thrown in jail. While they're in jail, God supernaturally frees them. God frees them from jail. God frees them from jail. They're in jail for, for, for living out their faith. The government put restrictions on them for living out their faith. Now they're in jail. Should I say it again? The government put restrictions on them. Now they're in jail. God did not honor that rule and that punishment in that moment, freed them from jail. They went back to what they just did a day later and did the same thing that got them arrested in the first place, began to preach the gospel in the name of Jesus, heal the sick. Now they're really upset. Now the high council not only wants to put them in jail, wants to kill them all because they're a threat to their whole system. They're a threat to their whole system. So this guy, so they bring them to the high council, and this is what happens in Acts chapter 5, verse 38. So in this present, this is Gamaliel, who's not even a believer in Jesus, but obviously has a level head and is a very studied man and has some knowledge of God, a lot of knowledge of God, even if he's missing the Jesus part. Acts chapter 5, verse 38. So in this present case, I say to you, this is Gamaliel speaking to the high council, stay away from these men who wanted, because they wanted to kill them, stay away from these apostles, away from these disciples, and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, merely human in origin, it will fail and be destroyed. Verse 39. But if it is of God, and listen to this, and it appears that it is, if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. Some of the wisest words spoken from not even a believer. If this is not of God, it will destroy itself. It will implode on itself. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them or else you may find yourself fighting against God. This word is for all those out there trying to cancel what God is doing. God cannot be stopped and you cannot be stopped if what you are doing is born of God. They're trying to metaphorically kill, cancel the people that are behind what God is doing. But you cannot shut down what God is doing. You will not win. This is God's promise for you today. You cannot be stopped. Say it. I cannot be stopped. And whatever it is that you do, if God's called you, I don't care if you're in what they call vocational ministry. You are all in ministry. Whether you're in business, marketplace, family, everybody has a ministry to minister to those in the environment God has put you in. That is your ministry. And if it's born of God, God cannot be stopped in you if you are continuing to surrender yourself in humility every day. People may try to stop you. Let me just tell you this. Man may try to close the door on you, but if God opened the door, no man can close what God has opened. That is a promise over your life. And I believe this. In this season, it's a fight season for the church. Not just a faith season. It's a fight season. you got to get your fight on. I'm, t I'm talking to all the wimpy, baby, bunny, rabbit, lucky charms eating Christians out there that are so afraid even to say Jesus loves you in a drive-thru because of what somebody may think or do. you got to get over that. You have one life to live, and you're going to answer for your fear. 
You don't want to answer for the stupid fear that really doesn't have to have a hold on you. You know, I, I was praying about it. I told Matt, I'm like, this is going to be a heavy message this morning. And it's going to be a heavy message. Like, I don't even know. I don't even want to call this a message, but it is a message. Matthew 16, verse 18 says this. Now I say to you, this is a promise of Jesus. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. This, this, this rock he's talking about, not Peter. I'm not building my church. Okay? Peter, you know, is going to be at the pearly gates. So this is where people get it. No, the revelation of who Jesus is. Before this, Peter said, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, man, like... No man has revealed that to you. Like, you got a revelation that I am the Son of God. And upon that rock, upon the rock and the revelation that I am the Son of God, that nobody could come to the Father except through me, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this revelation that you just said to me, I will build my church. Whose church? Not your church, not my church, his church. I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. In other words, you will not be stopped. If it's born of me, no man can shut it down. If it's birthed by me, nobody can close the door. I almost called this, I almost called this the right fight, fight the right fight, because this is what I feel like we're talking about. But often I feel like we find ourselves or witness others fighting the wrong battles, the wrong fights. God forbid we find out eventually that we've been fighting God the whole time. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter if you're a believer. I've done this before. There are seasons of my life that I've realized where I was actually fighting God and not fighting the right battles. Maybe trying to escape a process we didn't like prematurely. Like we're in a season and we're just, we just hate it. And rather than pray our way through it, rather than get on our knees and humble ourselves, we're just, where's the exit door? Like, I just want to get out of this place. Like, I hate this season. I hate this circumstance. Try to exit prematurely before we get a hold of everything that God can and wants to do because he's a redemptive God, even in bad seasons, that, that we put ourselves in. And sometimes we end up fighting against God in those very seasons. Or how about trying to acquire something that is not supposed to be ours? We want this thing, this career, this job, this thing. I'm going to start this new MLM, and I'm going to be multi-millionaire. I'm going to bless the church. I've heard that so many times. Sean, let me bring you in so I can build your leg to bless you. I've heard this so many times. I'm not against that. I'm not against that. If you're an MLM, God bless you. I'm not against that. I'm just saying that sometimes we're trying to acquire things that are for others that aren't ours, and we fight against God. Because it's luring. Wow, some freedom is being offered to me. Yeah, I'm going to dive into that. But it's not God's, God, God's best for me. And I end up fighting against God trying to make it happen. Trying to impress God somehow by my own works. We're fighting against God. Trying to impress God. Look at what I'm doing. Look how awesome I is. Uh, I am, you know, going into environments. Man, I, I'm this all the time. I'm with itinerants. I hang out with some of the who's who in the charismatic zoo, let me tell you. I know a lot of people. And I get into rooms sometimes, and sometimes all they want to do is impress me with their name drops and who their greatest prophetic word, their latest thing. Look what happened to me. And it's like, you're trying to impress me or impress God. I'm not sure. God's not impressed by you, and I'm not impressed by you. All God cares about is that you are in faith. Let's have some relationship now. You know, you're an awesome individual. You don't need to promote yourself to me. You're an awesome individual. I accept you for who you are. I see this all the time. Trying to tear down something that is God, thinking it's not. I've been the recipient of this many years, for many years, and I'm okay with this. 
people telling me that, you know, what I'm doing is not God and all kinds of stuff from different denominational backgrounds. I had, there's this one individual that just recently who's actually being featured in a, uh, a, a film that's in theaters all across the U.S. right now. And he went on to a, a podcast and said, on the podcast, mark my words, Sean Gaby will fall in 2022. And his whole MO, his whole mission is life, and he said it in the video, is to tear down churches like this and leaders like this because we don't look like him. We don't sound like him. And he even says in the video, like, you might think I'm a hurt church person. He's like, yeah, I am. And it's my mission to tear down churches like this. That's okay, though. It's sad for him, but this is, this is all throughout Scripture, people trying to fight against God, thinking they're doing a service to God. You become so anti-religious, you become religious. It's called the anti-religious religious spirit. You're so anti-something, you stand in the very judgment of that something and become and manifest the very thing you stand against. So dangerous. So scary. Your role in life is not to tear down people, it's to build them up. Call them higher. That's, that's, this is, the, this is the, the spirit of Jesus. Revelation 19.10 says the testimony of who Jesus is is the spirit of prophecy. Your goal is to call them higher by testifying about the goodness of Jesus to build you up, to grow you up, to mature you, to let you and help you become all that you are destined to become in Christ. In this passage, the very people that I just read in Acts 5 that were trying to do their religious service to God were fighting against God because they were stuck and they were blind. Just like in this passage with the threats of death, imprisonment, flogging, which they were actually, by the way, instead of killing them, after Gamaliel's advice, which was amazing advice, instead of killing them, they just beat them half to death. Like, I mean, it's still, it's better than killing them, I guess, but they flogged them with 39 lashings, just like Jesus. So, like, yeah, it's like, thanks, Gamaliel, like, we didn't die, but we're, like, basically feel like we're dead right now because we're all bleeding and our organs are basically falling out of our back. But anyways, have a good day. But there's metaphorical threats like this happening all around the world right now. In this culture, don't say this and don't say that. Speak on this, but not on that. Leave that out because of the potential backlash. That's not politically correct, nor does it sound compassionate enough for those that have decided what is or what is not morally right. Doesn't sound compassionate. Those that are simply out there waiting to trap and accuse. I see this in scripture. Like, I mean, Luke chapter eleven fifty four. 54. Speaking of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, it says this, they were lying in wait for him, speaking of Jesus, and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Doesn't that sound like today? Let's find the new soundbite out there. You know, edit it up a little bit and make it sound like something that it's not. It sounds like the anti-religious religious spirit is at work out there. We're so anti-establishment, anti-institution, anti-church organized religion. We're so anti-all that stuff. Yeah, we like faith, but we're anti-all of that. And we're waiting to trap you to say something that can be used maybe against you, even in the court of law. It's happening right now. This is a magnifying glass of the state and condition that we are living in as a culture, and we need to know it, we need to understand it, so that we can receive the grace to stand in the midst of it. Religion always wants to trap and trick you. 
I remember I was at a wedding one time, and this guy, we were talking. I thought he was genuinely interested in, in me, like, in asking me questions. He was talking to me, and he, he baited me right into this. Like, he, I was like a blind sunfish just going about my day, and this little kid put in a worm, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get caught the, for the 50th time today and get put back in and get, you know, one time I ripped the eyeball out of the, the devastated my son. I couldn't get the hook out. Ripped the eyeball, put it back in. I'm sure he's blind, but probably been caught another 50 times. And I, I, I'm like, I was like baited like a little sunfish. This guy, such genuine, he's asking me about all my, my encounters. I was like throwing my pearls out there. Like the, asking me about my encounters. You know, I heard you had this encounter in Moravian Falls. Tell me about it. And heard this encounter, this crazy visitation from God. And he was, he was baiting me. I didn't, had no idea. I was like blind, you know. I've learned a lot of lessons over the years. The Bible says, don't throw your pearls before swine. I was just handing out my pearls. Like, and, uh. So we were having, I thought it was all good. Like he was, he looked like he was encouraged. Right after the wedding, we went outside and there was all these people that were part of the, this school that I was leading at the time. There were all these people with me. And right outside during the wedding, he goes out and makes an announcement to all the people that were in, in my church at the time, things that I was leading. He's like, hear me. He was like a, he was like a, you know, a herald, you know, he's like, hear me. Sean Gaby is a false prophet and false teacher. If you were being led by him, you were being led astray. This is what he said at a wedding. At a wedding. I was like dumb. I was like the fish out of water. Like, what do I do? Like, I'm going to flop around. Like, I don't know what to do right now. And I was like a fairly new believer at this point. Like, I was still fresh off the boat in Christianity. I was like brand new. Like, I had just, you know, I, I was really new in this. But I learned very quickly that religion wants to trick you and trap you every time. And you got to discern it. It's like an anti-religious, religious spirit. The last season that we've all lived through as a Canadian church, I, we've had to wrestle through the balance of honoring worldly authorities, but never at the expense of honoring the most important authority, and that's Jesus. But it's a real thin line sometimes. Don't you know it's a real thin line? Haven't you felt like at times it's been a real thin line? And it always will be. It's never going to be super clear. You're always going to wonder, okay, am I, am I, am I missing it? Am I bowing to intimidate? Am I bowing to it? Am I missing it? There's a real big difference between honoring those worldly authorities in our lives, like Paul speaks about in Romans, and honoring God's authority, like the disciples talk about in Acts chapter 5, to which the reason why they went into jail in the first place. And I've been to countries where you are not allowed to preach the gospel. I've been to China. Even getting to China was somewhat sketchy when I went there had to travel around in underground churches where you can't, they can shut you down at any point. I've been to countries where we were were followed and the meetings that we were in were shut down because there was too much of a risk. I've been in those environments where I felt the control, like the muzzle, like I'm not allowed to do what God's called me to do right now. Now, it it didn't lead into an outcome like we read in Acts chapter 5, but I felt the feeling of what it feels like to be controlled in this area and feel like you're not being obedient to God. You're being obedient to fear and intimidation. And it's not a good feeling. Now, let me just say this. I think one of the greatest threats against the church, listen to this, is a deceived church of unbelieving believers who are so anti-religious they are actually religious. They are anti-establishment 
anti-institution, anti-traditional conservative biblical valued, let's call them the woke mob that is governed by a religious spirit and are completely unaware of it. So awakened and so enlightened, they are enlightened by the wrong thing but are blind, cannot see what they are really enlightened to. And I'm telling you, 10 to 20 years from now, they'll look back and be like, what was I a part of? I'm telling you right now, so many people will be like, what did I do? What was I a proponent of? And let me just be clear, I am, I am not for what people would call traditionally, you know, religious establishment, institution. I'm for a biblically defined church. The Bible says we are the ecclesia. That's the word for church. The word for church in all the New Testament is the word ecclesia, which means called out ones. We, the people, are the church. We don't need a building. Yeah, we want a building. Please, God, we want a building. We want a building. But we are the church. Wherever we are, we are the church. We are the people. The new covenant church is the people. The old covenant church is the building. Jesus came to flip the whole system on its head. That no longer are you just bricks and mortar where I meet you in a building. I meet you wherever you are. You are a 24-hour walking church. That is the truth. But here's the thing. I just believe this that there, are, there is a group of people out there that are trying really hard to promote a new wave of doctrine in the church and have an anti-religious message but have been blinded by the religious spirit themselves. And the same spirit that's blinding them was the same spirit that blinded Judas. And Matt mentioned this earlier. Let me just show you this for a second. It was a, it was a complete death trap for Judas. It actually, the spirit drove Judas to destruction. It actually killed Judas. He committed suicide because of it. Because he was so overcome by it. In John chapter 12, verse 4 to 7, this was the passage that Matt was was referencing. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. This is when Mary poured out this anointed perfume, this fragrant perfume on the feet of Jesus. It was worth a year's wages. Let's say $50,000, a whole year's salary. Uh, the median salary, I don't know what the median candidate is right now, but let's say an average, good, healthy, median salary. He poured it out in the, in the form of perfume right before he was going to go to the cross. She had no idea what she was even doing. And Judas, who handled the money, very important to understand this, Judas handled the money. Handled the money. He was sec- he, him and Peter and John were like the closest guys to him as far as like function. Judas handled the money, he was the treasurer, and he makes this statement while he witnesses this beautiful offering poured on under the feet of Jesus. He says this, he says in verse 5, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. She actually had no idea what she, why she was doing it. It was just an offering. But he, he discerned it. He could discern this was part of the plan. But Judas, what he did, you know what he did there? He was so blinded by his, this spirit that I've been talking about, he betrayed himself by betraying the one he says he loves by virtue signaling. One of the greatest issues that we've had in the last season is virtue signaling. You want to make people think you're like all about this, this season when really inside you're like, I don't, I, I don't stand for this, but you're doing it. And I'm telling you, there, there's a line between bowing and fear and intimidation. There is a line there. I'm not saying for everybody that they've hit that line, but I'm just saying this was the spirit 
that blinded Judas and it killed him in the end. Fear and intimidation will kill you in the end. Living a life that's not true to who you are will kill you in the end. He was virtue signaling a signal that he didn't even believe himself. He didn't practice himself. It will destroy your life. And it ended for him. He committed suicide. He couldn't handle the pressure. So what's happening in this season? Like I said, it's like I feel like God's putting a magnifying glass. And I really just couldn't shake it. We are living in such an urgent and critical time. Don't you believe that? And I know that like it ebbs and flows because since the days of Paul, when we read the scripture, nothing's really changed. I mean, it's, it's like this constantly. It's like, but we are living in a time when you can't say what you believe without the potential of the cancel culture mob coming after you. And let me just say this. How do you know if you're a part of this? Let me just give some clarity. How do you know if you're a part of that cancel culture mob? And I want to say this, and I hope you, we can all capture this. When you see all of your disagreements with others first as politically and or culturally incorrect, rather than what is biblically correct and from a kingdom vantage point. If you want to know if you're a part of that side of reality, if your response and your disagreements with others first and the priority of your engagement is rather what's politically and or culturally incorrect, rather than what is biblically correct from a kingdom vantage point, you're moving down into that space. When I die and I answer to God, I'm not going to answer for what was politically correct. I'm going to answer for what did my life mirror what was kingdom correct. What was correct by faith, correct biblically. That's what I'm answering for. I know this is a heavy-handed word. But you can get so indoctrinated by the culture that you throw out Romans 12. The Bible says in Romans 12, don't be conformed any longer, because you've been at one point, any longer to the patterns of this world, the way of the world. But be transformed on the inside, have a metamorphosis by the renewing of your thinking. And I'm hoping today we can renew our thinking a little bit, where we've slid into some of these patterns and not even realized it. Is your first response based on compassion or is it based on wisdom? Let me just tell you this. If your first response and engagement is always compassion first, you will be blinded. You're like, well, wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus moved with compassion? Absolutely. But he built a life on wisdom. Not on sinking sand, on a rock. That rock was wisdom. It says in Proverbs 7 that before the foundation of the earth even began, wisdom was the architect with God building Wisdom builds the house. Compassion fills the rooms. And if your engagement is simply compassion only all the time, you will be blinded at some point. Oh, but, but, forget truth for a second. Forget, forget what's wisdom. But, but did you see how they feel? You see what happens there? Like, I, I feel the compassion. That's great. Have compassion. I'm not saying not have compassion. But if compassion begins to be the the lead, and you begin to sacrifice wisdom, you will slide down into this path that you don't want to go every time. Build a life on wisdom and move with compassion. Don't build a life on compassion and sometimes operate in wisdom. Two very different lifestyles. And this is what's happening. We've let compassion for, for things and people and situations kind of lead us away from what's true, what's right in wisdom. Because wisdom sometimes doesn't feel like compassion. 
My son might be, maybe, I, don't, I don't feel like, you know, doing this. I don't feel like doing this work today. I don't want to do this. And as a father, I'm like, oh, I feel your, I feel your heart, man. Like, I feel, I love you, man. Yeah, you know what? You know how, no, it's wisdom to get your work done. Compassion would say, okay, yeah, you know what? Oh, I feel your sadness. And okay, just stay at home today and do nothing and sit on the couch and play Fortnite all day. And, you know, that, I, a compassion. I'm setting it up to fail if I do that. That's not wisdom. I lead in wisdom and I function in compassion. Very different. We are living in a time where the truth of the Bible is under attack. By a woke group of blind, so-called compassionate types that believe they are doing a service to God. And I'm saying it like it is. And I, I, I said that I was very calculated, okay? I'm choosing language because I feel like we need to hear it like this as a house in this season. We are living in a time where morale is being flushed down the drain by new waves of doctrine, new waves of thinking, with a new standard of morality, orientation, and identity. We are living in a time where the same science that says do this and do that for your safety is also saying you may have been born in the wrong body. And we are here to help you change that. Be whatever you feel like being. And if anyone tries to stop you, we will punish them for it. That's, that's, that's a reality. The same science that's telling you do this and this for your health is the same science that says you might be maybe as a seven-year-old born in the wrong body. Let me help you fix that. Forget what your parents say. Forget what everybody else said. Let me, let me help you fix that. Some of us don't want to hear it like this. This is, re, this is a reality. We are living in a time where people on platforms are afraid to speak the truth, preach the word of God, and draw a biblical, theological, and solid doctrinal line in the sand that says this is right and that is wrong. We are living in a time where the family is under attack and everything traditionally male appears as toxic masculinity trying to divide the family unit. And if we can't see it, we're going to live 10 to 20 years down the road and be like, what did we do to ourselves? Totally emasculated ourselves. And our kids are growing up in a culture where everything male is toxic now. Now, I'm not saying there isn't toxic masculinity. I'm not saying there isn't toxic stuff that happens. But you cannot blanket statement that this is anything that looks traditionally male is toxic masculinity. I'm sorry. Just say they won't fly. This kind of sounds like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5 to me. I don't know about you. Let me, let me read it out of the message translation first. Let me read it out of the message translation just for time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, out of the message translation. Don't be naive. This is a good word for us. Paul speaking to Timothy, his spiritual son. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. I love that's great. Thank you, message translator. Bloated windbags, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. I mean, a lot of people, that's where we're at. Everything that sounds Christian, we just, uh, everything that sounds like conservative value, it's like, you know, racist white evangelical. I'm just going to say it. 
You're just lumped into every, you're lumped into every group. No matter what you believe, they don't even know what you believe. They don't ask you what you believe. They just assume if you're a white pastor that has conservative values, you're a racist white pastor. If that offends you, I really don't care. Because that's really what's happening right now. You can't say anything. Soundbite this, put it on YouTube, it doesn't matter to me. Because this is the world we're living in right now. We have to be aware of it and be able to stand and speak truth. Now, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't exist. But you can't blanket everybody under that blanket. It's a judgment that you end up falling into yourself. And you become trapped by the very trap you're trying to set. It says here, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, allergic to God. They will, sh- they will make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. The writer says, listen, guys, like, I, I, I said that I, I wrote this down earlier, and I actually erased it. Like, I would rather hang out with a, sat- a Satanist, a Satanic priest sometimes, than an unbelieving believer that thinks like this. It is so much easier to interact with someone that has a total rejection for God than someone who says, I've accepted God, but I have wacky thinking about everything. Like, there's just no engagement. It's like an awkward conversation every, every time, every, every, the whole entire time. Are you hearing me today? So the big question is this, because I just like, di- I felt like this was like diagnosis message. Who wants to hear that and go home? Man, that was a heavy, depressing message. Like, yelling at us the whole time, said some really unpolitical things. Things weren't correct. I don't know if I'm going to go back to that church again because I'm afraid of what he might say if I bring a friend. I don't usually talk like this, just by the way. This is like a very different type of a Sunday. I just felt to do this. I don't do this every week. But the question is, what do we do? What do we do? Like, like what's the, what's the case? Okay, so what do we do? The magnifying glass is there. We see it. We all, we all know it. Some of you, you already, everything I just said, you, you've already seen that. It's not, nothing new. The answer is simple. Get louder. Pursue God harder. Actually fall in love with this word. Of course, not above Jesus. Jesus is the most, but he makes this word come alive. If you fall in love with Jesus, really, you should be falling in love with the word. Because this will keep you from being a flaky, shaky, bunny rabbit, fairy, godmother, princess Christian. Okay? If you want to actually be real and have real faith, study this book. Get your head out of social media and, and, and conspiracy theory YouTube channels about the Nephilim and the giants among us and actually get into this book, study it, and it will ground you. So when the winds of adversity come to shipwreck your faith, you're like, hell no. I have what I need to stand strong because I know this book. But if we're biblically illiterate, we will become that thing that I just mentioned. That fairy godmother princess with all kinds of colors on their, their dress. Anyways, we don't want that. We want to be solid in our faith, unwavering. So the answer is pursue God heart, study the word more, intensely share the power of the gospel in greater measure, and cut the head off the snake of fear in your life. Like, cut it off. Like, get aggressive and be like, you know what? I'm sick of fear trying to hold me back. I'm sick of intimidation trying to hold me back. Man, talk to Dan. You know, have a little visit this week with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do a little interview with them in the book of Daniel. Get out, get out the book of Daniel. Read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to do an interview. 
I want you to talk to God, but do an interview with them. You're like, what are you talking about? Read the word and see what they went through. When they were told to bow down, they couldn't worship any other God. They couldn't pray. They didn't do it. They rejected the law in that moment, the rule, the regulation, and they were thrown into a fire because of it. But guess what? There was one man in the fire with them. So here's the thing. You would rather be in the fire any day of the week if you're with Jesus than, st- than sitting in compromise, living a life that you hate and despise. Because in the end, that's true to you. That's true to you. Paul learned this the hard way. Acts 26, verse 14. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you know what God said to him? This is Paul recounting the story, writing about himself. He said, God said to Paul, it is useless for you to fight against my will. I think we're coming to a place where we're going to see this. It's useless to fight against God. If it's born of God, you cannot stop it. Shut it down, try to cancel it, try to muzzle it. If it's born of God, you will not stop it. Gamaliel had it right. You're fighting against God. I bet you he learned this concept, Paul, from his mentor Gamaliel. Because this is what happened to him. So once again, the big question is what do we do? I want to, as we just close here, I'm going to read this passage, this, the full story to you. And I want us just to get into it a little bit. Remember, they were just doing what God wanted them to do. They were just saying what God wanted them to say. And nobody liked it because it was a threat against all they, they had known, all they had built. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, it says this. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. I want, I want you to put yourself in this situation for a, for, for a second. If God's called you to do something, and someone tells you this, where do you, what do you do? What do you do? We gave you strict orders never again to do this thing that you felt God told you to do. Never again teach in this man's name. He said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death? Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. I don't know about you, but in that very statement, you say, woo. You say, you say that today, and, it, and you know, I think this can get twisted easily. I think people can take this out of context and be like, well, I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want to do, and you can't because God told me to do it. Yeah, maybe God didn't tell you to do that. Maybe the dill pickle you ate last night told you to do that. You know, your own emotions told you to do that. Well, God told me to do this, and, you know, and God told me to do that, and, okay, well, does it line up with who he is and his character? Maybe. Maybe he didn't. And people will use that to be sometimes ridiculous in their life. You have to be very careful what you use. You put the name of God on something. But in this context, they were confident that God had told them to preach the gospel, spread the mission, do the thing. He had commissioned to heal the sick. We must obey God rather than any human authority. For the God of our ancestors, verse 30, raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses. Listen to this, verse 32. We are witnesses of those things, these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who was given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, listen to this. When they heard this speech from Peter and the apostles, the high council, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. 
We don't know what to do with you. The only thing we can do is kill you. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, I love this. This is a powerful story. Just stay with me for a little bit. Okay, we're almost done. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thutis who pretended to be something great. About 400 others joined him and he was killed. And all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too. And all his followers were scattered. So my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. If it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow him them. I make I want to make this inter, I make this internal statement. I'm still standing. You're still standing. After everybody has tried to cancel you, move you out of your rightful place and what God's called you to do, you're still standing. Why? Cuz you cannot be stopped. If it's born of God, you will win every time. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged which is whipped 39 times, each of them. And they ordered them, never again. They said, this is how they ended it. Never again speak in the name of Jesus. Like, did they not learn? Like, they just had this whole interaction. Never again speak in that name, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing. Listen to this. This is how I want to close. Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. I would rather be burnt by the fire, suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus, than compromise who God's created me to be any day of the week. Bowing to fear, bowing to intimidation. That is God's will over your life. You might get burnt, you might smell like smoke, you might go into fire at times, you might suffer and lose reputation, but that is a way better choice than ever bowing to things that just aren't who you are. I want you to stand up with me.